everybody, welcome into the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, a proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs and exclusive home of Cubs Checking. Open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. And as a reminder, we're available on all podcast platforms, so make sure you rate, subscribe. Andy Martinez here, Tony Andracki. Andy, we just watched the Cubs lose uh, to the Pirates on Wednesday. It was a huge win for the team on Tuesday night. Wednesday seemed like the potential had the makings of a, of a huge comeback, but I think overall, um, you know, it was just it was a it was a quiet, muted clubhouse after the game. Just overall, what were your thoughts on on losing Wednesday night to the Pirates here? Yeah, so I kind of look at it in both sides of the coin, right? The first side is like, first of all, obviously, when you're in a playoff race and every game matters, there's no sugarcoating like a loss is a loss, and it's not good, right, in playoff chances. But I guess on the flip side of that coin is. The Marlins lost. The Reds were off. Um, the Diamondbacks won, but you're the behind them. Too, yeah. Or the Reds lost. Sorry, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you still maintain that third wild card position. It's not. They're not eliminated. They're not uh, four games back with five to play or something. Like they're they're still in control of their own destiny. So like, on that side of the coin, it's like okay, like it's not the end of the world. And I think the 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 thing about it too is like, the offense was really the 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 problem. When they were going that two and eight street, uh, stretch against the Diamondbacks, the Rockies, and the, and the Diamondbacks again, it was like the offense wasn't getting that big hit. They weren't getting that that timely, that big that big double or that big home run. Well, you saw all of that over the last two days, right? Whether it was Canario uh, hitting the home run on Tuesday or Dansby hitting the home run on Tuesday, back days with grand slams, right? Yeah. Ian Happ with the with the grand slam on on Wednesday, like you saw the big hit. So like you kind of think like, okay, the pitching's been good overall, like you're kind of allowed to have a bad outing. Like, you know that there's going to be bad outings here and there. So you think, all right, the offense kind of is, is in a groove. That's kind of the way you look at it. And I think that's the way to kind of look at it in, in when you're looking at it in this kind of like game-by-game game fashion, which is kind of what you have to do given going down the stretch. Yeah, no, I think it is for sure. The, the silver lining, obviously, that they didn't lose a playoff spot out of this. Right. Uh, Ten games remain now. But I think it's a missed opportunity as well because yeah. Arizona, Philadelphia, and Milwaukee all won ahead of them. I mean, the Cubs are, what, seven and a half back now in the division? Seven, seven full uh, back in the division. Like, I believe their elimination number is like five. Yeah, like the division's not happening at right. this point, even though Barring they have like three. A, something miraculous. Yeah, which it doesn't. It sure just doesn't seem like it. I mean, it, you know, the, the Brewers just are not losing right now. Right, right. They're almost never losing. Um, so the fact that the Cubs would make up seven games, even though they have three against the Brewers, it doesn't seem like that's a viable possibility at this point. But, yeah, I mean, Philadelphia won, Arizona won in front of the Cubs as well. So they're four back of Philadelphia. It becomes increasingly unlikely that they're going to get that top uh, wildcard seed and host the wildcard round as well. So it seems more and more likely that the Cubs are going to have one of the final two wildcard spots. Again, you never know what can happen, but you know Philadelphia beating Atlanta on Wednesday was a pretty big win for them as well. So a little bit of a missed opportunity in the sense of like creating a little more separation between Miami, who's only a half game behind the Cubs, or Cincinnati, who's a game back, or San Francisco, who's three games back. Like you could have created a bit more separation there, especially considering we've talked about this a lot, the tiebreaker scenario. The Cubs yeah. only have a tiebreaker over San Francisco of all the teams in the wild card race right now. So if it comes down to it, I mean, they're essentially five games behind the Phillies because if they tie the Phillies, Phillies have the tiebreaker. So, like, right. you got to make up all of this ground. It's really difficult to do. And when you're only a half game up on the Marlins like that, like, you don't have much wiggle room. Um, but that being said, you know, I, I, I agree with you. I think the offense was a bright spot, and Ian Happ said it after, as well after Wednesday's game that two good ones in a row, something for them to build on. 
uh, something for them to, to create a little bit of positive momentum. It's just the pitching that was super concerning yep. about Wednesday's game, starting with Justin Steele. He, he looked awesome for the first three innings and then really hit a wall in the fourth and uh, couldn't, couldn't get out of that at all. Yeah, I think it was interesting because we look at a Tuesday night where Blake Snell goes seven no-hit innings and it's kind of seemed like, all right, he's really cemented the NL Cy Young, like that's his to lose. And then when Steele comes out with six strikeouts in the first three innings, it's kind of like, oh, wait, like Justin Steele might be saying this thing isn't over. And then it seemed like, and he put it perfectly after the post game, after after the after the game, he said it perfectly. He's like, it seemed like everything that they were putting the bat on was finding uh, uh, grass and becoming a hit, and that was that was so accurate. Those six singles that he gave up in a row, none of them were hit over ninety three miles an hour. Like they were all pretty, they were all I don't want to say like soft contact because I mean a couple of them were like ninety, a couple of them were like eighty eight. They were pretty yeah. solid contact, but they're not a uh, hundred mile an hour. Uh, line drive into the gap type of thing like these were dinks and dunks and there was the one that he was able to feel that he right in front of home plate and he yeah. couldn't make a throw like it was just kind of like compounding 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 and ultimately it led to him being pulled and then a couple batters later when Jose Quas comes in it's a three-run homer and the game is it's seemingly out of hand obviously they, they made a little bit of a rally but really the the, the relief core overall also did, did struggled like every pitcher except for Brad Boxberger and Luke Little who faced one hitter allowed to run in the game like that just can't happen that that's that's compounding compounding uh not compounding interest compounding uh, mm-hmm. uh problems on, on your that's team a totally right? different yeah podcast. yeah, yeah, yeah. my yeah. mind somewhere else i guess but yeah. um you think about it like you have you're you're behind the eight ball and then your reliever starts giving up another run and another run and another run like you're just playing further and further behind the eight ball yeah, we were talking about it in the game in the press box was, you know, after Ian Happ hits the grand slam, Morrell had a homer earlier in the inning, and it was loud in Wrigley. Yeah. And then Cody Bellinger gets a double right after the grand slam. Like, that was, I think, the loudest I'd heard Wrigley this year was yeah. right after the Bellinger double there. And but, I, I'll say really quickly, like, I, it was eerily similar to when the Cubs played Seattle early yeah. in the, the year when they rallied from a seven-run deficit. And I pointed out to you, like, in the 10th game of the year, they rallied from seven runs, and there's 10 games left, and they had a seven-run deficit. And it's like, maybe they're doing it again. Obviously, they did not. But, they did not. But yeah, that, that was, alert. yeah, yeah. Yes. That, that was, that I had to get that quick antidote in. Well, I mean, they get all the way back to eight to six, and yeah. they're right there. They're in, um, you know, right, like sniffing on, or whatever. I'm losing a phrase. They're they're chipping away at right. the Pirates' lead, uh, and they're they're trying to make this comeback, and everything's going well. But then Mark Leiter Jr. comes in, and we're like, oh, interesting choice, Mark Leiter Jr. coming out. Um, Ross really wants to get this win, and he wants to keep things close. He's un- using one of his A relievers out there, and then Leiter gets tagged for a few runs. So like that was, the, it was not the shutdown inning that teams talk about that Ross talks about wanting, and you had one of your best relievers. It wasn't. Um, you know, Luke Little or Daniel Palencia or one of these rookies who's in his first few big league outings. It was Mark Leiter Jr., who has been your like one of your relief aces all year, to give up a few runs, to give up a home run as well. Like it was definitely, um, it, it was very deflating. I felt like, uh, yeah. and even though the Cubs added on a little bit after that, like and had some other rallies, it, I think that the game was lost in that moment yeah. when when Leiter came in and gives up three runs after all that. Yeah, that was, it was like you have the positive momentum rolling and it just immediately stops. And yeah, you want that shutdown inning and you could you could play the game of like, what if, like what if you had brought in brought Boxberger? Like maybe what if you had brought in Stroman to try and bridge the gap for a little longer, a couple innings maybe, and then bridge it to uh, Leiter and, and Merriweather. But like he trusted Leiter and the pocket kind of made sense, right? There was a couple... There was a lefty and then a switch hitter, and it was their nine-hole hitter leading off. Who like you kind of trust Mark Leiter to to get that, and 
it just it just didn't happen and like those things are have have that's kind of been the crummy luck that has been facing the Cubs during this tough stretch. It seems like every bad, like I think back to Hayden Wesneski in extra innings where he's he's pitching really well, and then they hit a single right off of him with two strikes and two outs, and yeah. they come back and and Arizona comes back and wins the game. Like so the, the 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 bad luck is not it was not going for the Cubs away there. No, and um, and I mean I think going back to Steele and you talk about like luck was certainly a factor, but also like. The Pirates were expanding the zone. They had several yeah. of those hits were pitches outside the zone. Things The wheels just fell off really fast. And I think the concerning part is that, is that he looks so good and then all of a sudden in the fourth inning. And I think there's obvious questions about, is he fading down the stretch? We obviously don't know. They're, they're not going to come and say it. And also, they don't know right now, right. Like immediately after the game. But I think it's a very fair question because he's up well over 30 innings beyond his professional high. I mean, actually, I think he's in the 40 or 50 range beyond his professional high. It was like 119 or 120 coming in this year, and he's at um, like 168. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so yeah, I mean, he's, he's blown by his workload that he has had in previous years. And this is back-to-back clunkers on the stat sheet. But David Russ said he didn't quite see it that way. He actually felt like raw, uh, sorry, Steele pitched – pretty well in Arizona it was six runs in six innings I think it was but it was two three-run homers yep. and it was he didn't feel like Steele had pitched poorly leading up to that it was like a blue pit or some weak contact and a walk and then it was a first pitch slider that was hammered into the bleachers and that happened twice so um he he's looking at the big picture and you know he did say alarm bells twice just about the way that fourth inning played out for Steele so I am curious if like there was something the Cubs saw in that or it was just a bad luck you know so I, I think well, trying to decipher that over the next few days um, will be really interesting. But Steele was lined up to make three starts in these final 11 games. You had Wednesday. Um, he'll start at some point in that Atlanta Braves series. I guess he'll have to start um, on Tuesday the way yeah. it'll line up, the first game of the Braves series. And then he's on track to start game 162 against the Brewers, knowing that like if you have a chance to punch the ticket to the playoffs, you have your ace going. And then if you don't need him, he's on full rest for game one of that wild card series on the following Tuesday. So I think they had it all lined up, but now the question marks obviously are out there of how much you can rely on Steele. Were these just two kind of isolated incidents or were the, is it the sign of him maybe running into a wall, pitching far deeper into a season than he ever has before? Yeah, it's it's a really valid question. It's a it's an interesting one because there's been times throughout the year, and I even look at the first inning, right, where it's single, double, second and third, one out, and it's like, ooh, like to me that was the first uh, alarm bell, quote unquote, that for Justin Steele was, all right, you just gave up six runs in your last outing, first inning of this next outing in, in a big game, you allow a single and a double, and you're on the defensive right away. He's able to get out of that with a pair of strikeouts, and then he has two good innings where he like he just cruises. You're like, all right, he's settled into his groove, and that's kind of been the story of him. I think back, I think it was the Milwaukee, um, the Milwaukee game, the last time Milwaukee was in Chicago, where Justin Steele had some really high pitch count innings, and I think he still made it through six innings, seven innings, uh, and, and gave them a, a real outing, and I'm like, wow, that's a really gutsy performance from Justin Steele. I think I even talked about it on the pod where it's like, that wasn't stat-wise necessarily his best outing, but I thought it was his best outing of the year just given the the result and how he pitched and, and worked through that outing. That's kind of who he's been throughout this year. That, to me, is the, sh- the, the shocking and alarming part where it's been like he's run into trouble yeah. numerous times throughout the year, and he's been able to get out of it. The last two times, the big hit has come. Is that a fluke? Like, is he due for some regression? Maybe. Is it a sign of him wearing down? Maybe. Like, we, we won't 
we probably won't know the answer. We might not ever know the answer, but that is definitely the truth right now, and that's the the, the reality that the Cubs are facing. And we'll see what I guess in the next outing whether that was a sign of fatigue, whether it was some some regression, or or, or if we'll get back to being the Justin Seal that he was throughout the the rest of the year. Yeah, and I mean, like you said too, that he has gotten out of so many jams this year, and that start in Arizona, he was literally one pitch away from yeah. having a quality start because. Uh, there were two outs in the sixth inning there. If he gets out, uh, I forget who it was, Alec Thomas that hit the homer. Yep. If Alec Thomas, if he retires Alec Thomas instead of giving him a three-run homer, he's given up three runs in six innings. Like, still a 450 ERA. I get what everybody says about quality starts with that, but it's still a quality start, and he still went six innings. You know, he yep. retired the next batter. So, like, he gave the Cubs length. He kept them in the game, obviously, up until that point. But Wednesday here was a little bit different. Um, I, I am curious to see how the next start is. I don't necessarily think that he's running into a wall. I'm not going to say a one-point yeah. inning here. Um, and I see you looking at the whole big picture. Because I thought he looked as good as he has looked all year in the first Those three Those three first rings were great. Yeah. Like, yes, he gave up a couple of hits, but then to strike out back-to-back hitters to get out of the inning in the first. I just thought he looked pretty good. Um, but that with the other pitching injuries the Cubs have, the other pitching question marks, they lose Justin Steele, their Cy Young candidate, their horse. If he is running into a wall, if he is not the guy, you know, if he can't turn the corner um, next week in Atlanta, then yeah, I think they're in they're in a much more precarious uh, playoff position than than they currently are. They need guys like Kyle Hendricks, Javier Sada has still been pitching well. Jordan Wicks has been doing great, but he's had what five starts, uh, four starts, whatever yeah. in his big league career. Um, and then Jamison Tyon has been up and down and dealing with you know a little stuff too because it'll go about ten days in between his outings. So. Uh, the Cubs definitely need Steele to be who he is, not only for the rest of the regular season, but like if they make it in the playoffs, game one, game two, game three, however it yeah. plays out, they need him to be Justin Steele. Yeah, like if the Cubs are going to go on a run, if the Cubs are going to, uh, the Cubs are going to make it in the playoffs, and if they're going to make a run in the playoffs, like it, it centers a lot around Justin Steele, right? He's been their ace. He's been the guy that's gotten them here. Like he's the guy that's taken him from, from being a team that you didn't know what to expect going into the year to a, a, a playoff contender, like. He's been one of the best pitchers in the National League, as Ian Happ says, and as the stats back up. And they need him to to be at least maybe not the elite level that he was, but a pretty darn good version of himself to, to make a run. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here on the Cubs Weekly Podcast. When we come back, we're going to talk about Marcus Stroman and his role over the next week and a half of the season. And then also the Nick Magical injury and why it's low-key one of the major injuries and, and questions that the Cubs face here over the next 10 games. We know you love Chicago. You devour the pizza, admire Chicago's skyline, and cheer on Chicago sports teams, especially the Cubs. If you wanted to live in a more boring place, you'd live in St. Louis. Why not bank with Chicago's bank too? Upgrade your wallet with an exclusive Wintrust Cubs debit card, which you can get when you open a Wintrust Cubs checking account. Show your Cubs pride and open an account at Wintrust.com Cubs. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. All right, welcome back into the Cubs Weekly Podcast. Andy Martinez, Tony Andreacki here. And Andy, let's talk a little Marcus Stroman. It was pretty much the only pregame talk we had today, Wednesday. Uh, he talked, he detailed a little bit more about his injury and his recovery back. And then there was the only questions that Ross actually was asked pregame was just Stroman, how he's a weapon, how he's going to be utilized. And I think that's going to be one of the most fascinating developments over the next 10 games. And then especially after, if the Cubs get into the playoffs. What role does Stroman fill? What innings does he pitch in out of the the bullpen? And then does he make it back at all to to be into the starting rotation? Especially by the time, say, they're in the wildcard series, 
games one, two, three, or whatever it is, like, does Marcus Stroman start one of those playoff games? I mean, I think there's that's a real shot, like, that he could do that. Like, and uh, I'll go into my reasoning, but the, the one thing I will say is, like, he mentioned in pregame that he could have, like, had he not pitched on back-to-back, like, his next outing, he thinks he could have gone maybe, like, four or five innings. Mm-hmm. And I'm, of the, I'm of, the, of the notion that, like, a lot of times athletes will say these things and, and like, hype themselves up. In Marcus Stroman's case, I mean, he's the guy who, like, who's, if he says something, like, all right, he's, he's pretty darn close to saying, like, that's pretty darn close to accurate. Like, I, I, he, he pitched on back-to-backs after coming back from this injury. Like, that's For the first, first time, time ever. Yeah. Right? He hasn't relieved since his rookie year. Like, it was, it's just remarkable what he did from, like, a pure physical recovery standpoint. Like, to, to be doing what he's doing is kind of remarkable, just given that it was a four- to six-week recovery and he's back and like, two or three weeks. Like, yeah, yeah like, it, it's pretty it's pretty incredible. But so when when he says that he thinks he can go four to five, like, if you think about that and maybe he goes an inning or two in his next outing or, or two and three or two or three innings, the, the, the following outing, et cetera, et cetera, like, that lines you up where if you're in a playoff game and you're in a game two or a game three, like, just or, or Marcus Stroman is the, the perfect guy, whether it's a long opener, right, where he goes three, four innings or a decent opener where he goes four or five, Maybe your bullpen's healthier at that point. Maybe you have Michael Fulmer there who can then bridge the gap, and you have Leiter and Merriweather. Maybe I was like, like that shortens the game. That 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 is a real weapon to have. And I think back to when back in June and in July, like when the conversation was centered around like, are the Cubs buyers or sellers? One of the things I thought of of like why the Cubs should be buyers or or, or have a real good shot at the playoffs was especially at the time like. There was not a better one-two punch, I thought, in the National League than Justin Steele and Marcus Stroman, the way they were going. And now you're getting the chance to potentially see that. like that With like, Kyle Hendricks with, pitching well, yeah. With Kyle Hendricks pitching well. And then you have guys like Jordan Wicks or Javier Assad who could provide some sort of different role in a three-game series. Like that, Those are all intri- intriguing weapons and, and intriguing options that, that make you a little bullish on, on their playoff odds if if there's, there's health and... and everything goes well yeah and so touching on the the playoffs um for now obviously we're getting ahead of ourselves a bit but like that's that's what the cubs are working towards that's what they're they're striving towards but i was talking to tommy hadavi today wednesday before the game and he was saying he's like we don't know exactly how anything in the playoffs would line up but maybe stroman would go three innings maybe smiley's for two or three or hayden wasneski's for two or three after and then you like you mentioned all the other bullpen guys but right now the cubs are just piecing together the bullpen and we talked about in the last podcast like 60% 60% of their opening day rotation is in the bullpen right now. It's it's a been a strange year, but it's also been a strange last couple of weeks. And in a lot of ways, the bullpen is limping into this final stretch and potentially into the postseason here. It's not ideal from that sense. The bullpens are so important. We've seen just over the last decade, but really even over the last few years, how important it is to have a, a set guys in your circle of trust and Ross's circle of trust that he can call to. So if Jordan Wicks starts a playoff game, he doesn't have to go more than three or four innings. Or if Justin Steele gets in trouble, like we saw in the fourth inning of Wednesday's game, there's a lot more length down there and and you have some of your high leverage arms. So bullpens are super, super important in the playoffs. The Cubs getting theirs right, obviously, depends so much on health. Edward Alzelay and Michael Fulmer, like you said. But then also the Stroman factor of like, and that's what I find so interesting about it is he is a guy that can go out and pitch in a variety of different ways. He can pitch multiple innings. He can pitch one inning. He can get one out in a huge spot, and then you take him out if that ends the inning and doesn't have to face the three batter minimum. 
He can work back-to-backs. He's already proven that and pitched well. And he's one of the best pitchers on the team, best pure talent pitchers. You can you can pick him, in a, you know, put him in a spot where, oh, you need him in the ninth inning. Oh, you need him in the seventh to set up for Lighter and Merriweather. Like, however you want to utilize him, like, you have him out there. And to know that you kind of have, like, an ace in your back pocket, from Ross's perspective, I think is a comforting feeling given the fact that they just don't have many other trusted options right now. There's just a bunch of rookies and inexperienced guys down there. And to that point, it was it was an interesting point that, that David Ross mentioned. He remembers talking to Ryan Dempster in 2013 when the when the Red Sox make, made their run. And Ryan Dempster went up to, to the Red Sox brass and was like, hey, I'm ready for any role that you want me in. Because if you think about it, a starter will have faced uh, – a pitching in a bases loaded situation. We'll have faced uh, a runner at third with less than two out situation. Like they've been in all these situations and Marcus Stroman is, has been in all those situations this year. He's pitched in the ninth inning of the game. He has a complete game to his credit. He knows what it's like to be in those moments. So you, yeah, if it's bases loaded and you think the best matchup is Marcus Stroman against that hitter, that's not a moment where you're going to have to call on Marcus Stroman and you're going to be worried about him being like, oh my gosh, like it's bases loaded, like I got to be perfect. Like you don't have to worry about that. It's not like a rookie or an inexperienced guy who hasn't come in in a, in a dirty inning. Like he's only come in in clean innings. Like you don't have to worry about all that. And with Marcus Stroman, that's a valuable asset. And maybe that is why the, bull, the, the bullpen is his best role, right? If Javier Saad and Kyle Hendricks and Jordan Wicks are pitching well along with, along with getting Justin Steele right, then having Marcus Stroman being able to go four innings over two days is much more valuable than having him start once for four innings and having to wait a few days. Yeah, that's actually exactly something that Hadavi said as well. Is like just imagine that Stroman, they're trying to build him up and they're uh, they're starting him three times on the Justin Steele path. He's going to start three times over the final eleven games, starting with Wednesday. Is he at three innings in in those starts, or maybe he works all the way up to five? But you're talking about like nine, ten, eleven innings over over the course of the next eleven games. If you have eleven innings from him, do you always want them to come in that spot, or do you want to utilize maybe eight of the most high leverage innings over the next eleven games or right. ten games now at this point? And and I think that's the most interesting part. And like maybe if he's going well, he pitches the last four innings of a game, and we've seen that from Keegan Thompson before as well you know like and then he shut down for a couple days and then bounces back so that's what i think is really interesting he warmed up several times in wednesday's game didn't ultimately get into the contest uh but you know there's a few days off now i know he's ready for thursday friday and so on but i I think that's just how how the cubs utilize him in the regular season and then if he is able to build up because it's such a neat they have to thread the needle so finely here where they have to build him up they have to make sure that he's healthy. He's not fully healthy from this rib cartilage fracture. Yeah. Like, he's not going to be until the, the offseason. He even admitted that today. And they need to try to win games to get to the playoffs. And then once they get in the playoffs, they have one off day before they got to, you know, start a playoff series <laughs> and get right back into it. So uh, it's going to be very difficult for sure. But I think we talk so much about the bullpen injuries. The Nick Magical injury is yeah. something that, uh, you know, we touched on just a bit on, in the podcast a couple of days ago. But now we found out. He's on the injured list. Uh, Jared Young, <clears throat> excuse me, comes back up. Young's not going to have a big, big role on this team right now. But Nick Madrigal did. He had a really big role. He was playing third base. He was essentially their starter at third base. He occasionally was seeing some time on the bench with Patrick Wisdom at third against lefties. But until Jamer Candelaria comes back, it was Madrigal's job because he was one of the premier defenders at third. Not something we all thought coming into the season. But when pitching and defense is so paramount to 
have a uh, defender that you trust at third base, a really good contact hitter, a guy who was a helpful part of the, the lineup as well. And now he's down and, and Ross didn't want to rule out anything for the playoffs, but it sure seems pretty unlikely that he ever comes back this year uh, from the hamstring injury, which he now has several years of hamstring injuries in a row. Yeah, it was it was a crushing blow, but because like, even when Candelario was there, Candelario was playing a lot of first base, right? And, yeah. and Bellinger was in center field or with depending on the matchup, maybe Bellinger was on first and Candelaro's on third, but Nick Madrigal was the everyday third baseman for a good portion since he was recalled in, I believe it was late June when he was called back from AAA. He was the starting third baseman, was a really darn good defensive third baseman, which I don't think any of us thought would have been the case in March a year ago. I mean, not to this level. No, yeah. yeah, like I mean, he was in outs above average, I believe the only – Defenders that were ahead of him were like Manny Machado, Michael Garcia, and Cabrian Hayes. And Cabrian Hayes, like yeah. he was ahead of guys like Nolan Arenado. Like it was kind of incredible what he's been able to do defensively. And he his bat was starting to come around, right? Where he was he was getting the singles, but he was also getting the doubles. He had a couple home runs. Like it was it was trending to be a good season for him on both sides of the plate. That that would, to me was a big loss because it it also. Uh, eliminate some of the versatility in the Cubs lineup. There was so much that was available, especially even when Jamer Candelario is healthy. But you think about it, like you can move uh, Cody Bellinger around first and center. You could move Jamer Candelario around. You can DH Mike Talkman or start him in center. Like it created so much positional flexibility in that first game back where Nick Madrigal's on the IL. That's kind of when it showed the just how thin everything was on the offensive side. Christopher Morrell had only started a couple times in the field since June. I think it was two times and both were in the outfield that he had started since June and he was starting third base that day and Patrick Wisdom was at first base and it, it was just such a... And Canario was DHing for his first career start. Right, right. Yeah. Like it was just created so much and that was like a must-win game and these were the situations you were in. Like that Madrigal injury to me was huge, was so huge for the Cubs. Miles Mastroboni had a really, really... Like I think one of the... We haven't talked about it but Wednesday night's game, Miles Mastermind had a, had a terrific game, three hits, uh, a couple doubles and a single. He looked pretty good, if you remember, around June when he was he was getting some playing time. Then he was optioned. Like, you, if that can be a thing, like, that's a really good option off the left-handed side. Perez a good glove and has got some speed. So, like, that's what you look for. But this Nick Madrigal injury is really probably the, the biggest one of the bunch, just given the other ones that have happened before. Well, yeah, and like you said, you know it because of just where – Every game has this added importance to it right now. And we've heard all along, like in the common line of a game in September 20th is not necessarily any more important than April 20th. That's true in theory, but we're humans. And obviously this is more important right now. Like, you know that you go into September 19th needing to win. And in a game where they need to win, like you said, Christopher Morell is playing third base, a position he hadn't played in three plus months in a position that the Cubs... um, we're just not sure, you know, there, there's some question marks about his defense over there, and, and particularly his throwing, and that's why he's been DHing a lot over the last yep. three months. Uh, and then Alexander Canario, who had not played in, uh, had not started at all in the two and a half weeks that he had been up since September 1st when, when he was first up as a call-up, then he's starting at DH. Now, obviously it worked out, and we'll get to Canario, you know, in a little bit here. Um, Morell had a good game as well, but then Wednesday, Miles Mastroboni starting for the first time in over a month. He's been up here as exclusively a pinch runner. Occasionally has come in, um, you know, like the extra inning game, and he's been um, pinch hit and defensive replacement and stuff at times. But that was his first start in a really long time. And like, so the Cubs are in these must-win games, and they're relying on people in different spots than they had been in normally. 
And it's not just the rookies. It's not just OPCAs out there like we saw last week in Colorado. It's a guy like Miles Mastroboni being out there without much playing time. Or it's, you know, it's Stroman in a position he had never been in before. Like the Cubs are, are trying to pull out all the stops. But that's why I think, that, like you said, the magical thing is, is low-key of, of some major importance to this team. Because yep. we also don't know when Candelario is going to come back. You know, he's yep. progressing. Or what they he'll said, be when he comes back. Yeah. You know, he had some, some pretty, serious, you know, pretty serious back injuries. Uh, working his way back, but like that 10-day IL stint, he's due to come off uh, Friday. I think it's fr- yeah Friday. Um, there's not necessarily any indication right now that he is going to be off by yeah. Friday. Maybe he will. Maybe he's just going to give it a go at 70% or whatever he is. But he was struggling for a few weeks before he went on the IL as well offensively. Yeah. So uh, I think what the Cubs do at third base, how they they manage all these depth pieces, is a major question mark as well. And now they're at the time where they have 10 games left including some against Atlanta and a series against Milwaukee in there. Yeah, it's it's a, a crucial stretch and like the worst timing for injury. Not that it, like any like yeah. you know you don't you don't want to say like you know this injury is a good timing for an injury. Like there's no such thing as that, but like this is is really a, a pivotal stretch into you you can kind of get away in June 20th and giving an off day to Nick Madrigal or to Nico Horner and put Morel at second base or third base and like feel like you can kind of get away with it. But in September, like, there's no off day. So, like, you want to have your best off, your best offense and your best defensive unit. And when you're having to rely on some of these guys that haven't played those positions in a long time in a game setting, and I know they're taking reps, and I know they're, they're getting their, their work in every single day, but nothing uh, replicates the game game feel. And that, to me, is, like, the biggest concern when, when these situations come up is, like, how will they react when a hundred mile an hour liners hit to them in the bottom of the eighth inning? That's we'll we'll find out when that comes. Yeah, and you know we talk about young guys getting opportunities too. And Alexander Canario, his first start Tuesday night, um, it was a little bit difficult at the start. You know, swinging and misses at some pitches, and then as he's in the on deck circle, there's that weird pop fly. I think Patrick Wisdom hit it right, yep. and uh, there's a foul ball. He's called out for batter's interference because he's kind of backing away as the catcher's running out of the Pirates catcher, but it was Cabrian Hayes from third base who came and actually bumped into Canario. They ended up calling Wisdom out on batter interference, even though it was the on-deck interference. Right. I've never seen a play quite yeah, like that. Yeah. Like, you, I had you, no idea how to score it on my scorebook. Oh, no, not at all. And so, like, it, it, as umpires are talking about it, here's Canario, who's in his first big league start. He's, like, 0 for 3 in his career prior to that point. And it's like, you know, it must be a lonely, isolating feeling. Yeah. And a couple of pitches later, he hammers a double to left. First yep. big league hit, first big league RBI. Two innings later, grand slam in the left field bleachers, and, and the, the route is on. It was just an awesome, epic night for Canario to the point where Christopher Moreau was so excited he had to take his shirt off yet again. Yeah, and that was a cool backstory. I went up to Moreau because Javier Saad mentioned his postgame presser that Amaya and Morel had were talking and they predicted a home run. And Morel, I caught up with Morel after the game, and he's like, yeah, like, it was one of those things like you just have a feeling that that he's gonna hit a home run, and he had the feeling that Canario was gonna hit a home run. He was telling everyone, he's like, guys, he's gonna hit a home run, he's gonna hit a home run, and when he hits a home run, I'm gonna take my shirt off. <laughs> and both, which first of all, like why that is your thought, I don't know, but I mean, that's he, Christopher Morales. He did it once for that walk off in the White Sox, right? And you like just gotta that, keep that's it up. like, yeah. yeah, I guess, yeah, it's a it's a big soccer celebration, so maybe that's where. Yeah, I don't know. Like there was just so much emotion, and he like both came through to their word, right? Canario hits the home run. Morel takes his shirt off. Everyone's going crazy. It's a viral moment, right? Everyone loves seeing Morel take his shirt off. Um, and, and you know when you're doing that, like, good things are, are happening. And 
what a what a good moment for Canario, especially just like we talked about those two and a half weeks where he's just on the bench and and watching and observing. And there's definitely a lot of value in that, right? Like being around a, a team chasing the pennant chase and and being around the environment, and being a major league clubhouse. But it's asking a lot to for him to come in and start. And he was starting because there was a lefty on the mound, at, which was an opener, and then there was a righty on the mound. So which who knows if the matchup really lined up. It ended up lining up, and it looked like he belonged, and he had not missed a beat. Like it looked like he had been playing every day for for two weeks. Yeah, I mean those balls were loud. The yeah. Double and the home run were were very loud. There were great swings. Um, it was what it was the first time I had seen it, obviously in person. You know, yeah. we've seen it quite a bit um, in the minor leagues, but it was a, definitely a special night. Um, it's kind of funny that that's just how baseball works, right? It's like this yeah. epic night. There's so much to talk about on Tuesday and then Wednesdays in large part, like, again, kind of a clunker. Like, yep. Justin Steele was going well. The Cubs had a lead. Say Suzuki had another nice hit. And then all of a sudden, it falls off pretty quickly. And then it's like, oh, the Cubs are coming back. Ian Happ hits a grand slam. Cody Bellinger gets another double. And then it's like, bam, Mark Lair Jr. has a tough outing again. So, like, it's it's a little bit of one step forward, one step back right now, I feel like, for the Cubs. And a lot to do, you know, a lot of the reason behind that is the injuries and yeah. is guys um, potentially wearing down at this point in the season. So it's going to be a super interesting final 10 games here. Uh, we're going to have another podcast for you. As a reminder, we're doing podcasts twice a week now. So they'll come out on Monday and on Thursday throughout the rest of the Cubs season, however long that goes, whether it's through October 1st or through the wild card or through the World Series, however it may be. So maybe we'll be talking to you guys here in early November uh, as the Cubs put the finishing touches on their next World Series run. Whatever it may be, uh, we have you covered here on the Cubs Weekly Podcast. For Andy, I'm Tony. Thanks as always for listening. And as a reminder, we're sponsored by Wintrust. Check us out in video form on the Marquee Sports Network app and YouTube.